Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our consideration this fifth Sunday in Easter is written for us in that 17th chapter of St. John's Gospel. And I would like us to consider it again this morning and for those who will be listening later so that they can hear this text as well. Jesus, in his prayer, he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the truth of your word the very word that binds us together, your church, in times of illness, of times of success, of times of doubt. Your word holds us together where we can come together and build each other up in your word. Lord, I pray now that you would sanctify all of us in your word, for it is the truth. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, the term hero gets tossed around a lot in our culture. One of the pictures I get uh, when I think about the word hero is one word, among others, of course, is selflessness. A picture of selflessness, one who is worried about others going into harm's way and saving them. I remember when I was younger in high school when 2011 happened, September. 11th, 2001, sorry. And I remember the firefighters going into that building, not worrying about themselves as much, but trying to get as much people out as they could. Jesus was about to face destruction, bearing the sin of the world upon his shoulders. But he wasn't thinking of himself in the moment of this high priestly prayer. He was thinking of his followers. To set a little bit of the context, today's gospel once again puts us in that upper room the evening before Christ would go to the cross. The text mentions the son of destruction. We know who that is. That's Judas. Judas had just left this gathering in the upper room. 
and was on his way to the authorities to gather up soldiers who would then come to Gethsemane and arrest Jesus. Jesus has pretty much finished all that he would want to teach his disciples in the upper room, everything that he intended to do so anyways. And he is almost ready to go to Gethsemane. And Jesus, knowing that his disciples would face three days of agony, sorrow, distress, some of the scariest days that they would experience. He has one last thing to do before he leaves for Gethsemane. He prayed to the Father on their behalf, and he allows the disciples to listen in on that prayer. And we call this prayer the high priestly prayer, and our text that we read this morning is a portion of that prayer. This prayer teaches us about Jesus' attitude toward us. This is the evening before his death on the cross. And Jesus knew it. He, we could certainly understand if he focused that prayer on himself with the upcoming reality of his death and all the suffering that he was going to go through for us. He would later on have a prayer for himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. But here in the upper room, he sees his disciples he knows their hearts, and he knows what they will be going through. So he prays for them. He knows how alone and frightening the coming days are going to be. A gauntlet of sorrow, of suffering, and death that wait while Christ is in the tomb. So Christ prayed for those who will eventually hide behind those locked doors until they will see him face to face after the resurrection. This prayer is also for us. Although Jesus has never left us, he's present with us now. He has taken, taken away his visible presence. He has ascended into heaven. And although he is with us, we cannot see him. He has not yet taken us into our eternal home. So we find ourselves in a time of waiting for that second coming. So we're living in a, a now, but not yet reality. Christ has given us the realities of heaven and his gifts, but we don't have them in the fullest right now. We have, we have and can experience these gifts, but we'll experience them in the fullest in heaven. This means that all of Christ's gifts already belong to you now but we cannot experience them in its fullest until heaven. So we live in a, a time of now, but not yet. So Jesus' prayer is for all those who live in that time of now, but not yet, until Christ comes again. And while we live in this tension of now, but not yet, of the Christian life, we also live in another tension that Jesus brings up in the text. The tension of being in the world but not of the world. We are like resident aliens, people who reside in one country but are citizens of another. We are pilgrims. And one of the problems is that even though we are aliens in this world, 
We expect to get along with it just fine, just perfectly. We expect to prosper in a world that is not our home. Some will even tell you that when you become part of God's family, you will have nothing but success. You'll have nothing but health and wealth and prosperity. You'll become more attractive maybe even, become wealthier. Your relationship with your spouse or anyone else will have no problems. This is a deception, of course. A deception that tells you that God wants nothing but material and social prosperity for you. This deception tells you that worldly success indicates a superior relationship and standing with God. But that is not true. Jesus has a different teaching. In his prayer, he prayed, The world has hated them because they are not of the world. That does not at all sound like prosperity or worldly success that we hear about in this world. Because we are resident aliens in this world, the world is out to get us. It wants to consume us and take our eyes off Christ. The devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh constantly confront us with this temptation and deceit. Sometimes the attack is direct. We read and hear about martyrs in Christianity throughout history. We learn and read about the martyrs who died in Roman Colosseums for sport, or in gas chambers in Germany, or in even modern times governments who have actually used aircraft to bomb and destroy Christian communities in their own countries. Other times, though, that attack is not so direct. The temptation is more subtle. The evil forces in this world use enticements and pleasures to draw us away from God. There is the deception that makes sin seem so harmless. It seems so good, so desirable in the time. How could it be harmful to us? And while we consider the temptation, everything looks good and pleasant in that time. And this has been a weapon of the evil one from the very beginning. Remember Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Temptation always seems like a good idea at the time. It would not be tempting if it didn't do that. The world is a world of sin. And whether we are citizens of the world or citizens of heaven, we will sin. While we live in this world, we're all, as Paul says simultaneously, just and sinner. As Paul says in Romans 7, 
I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. We are saints in the eyes of God for Jesus' sake, but we still struggle with sin while we live in this world. For we are in this world, but not of it. The people of the world operate on a spectrum of beliefs when they deal with sin. At one end of the spectrum are those who have deceived themselves into believing that they do not sin. They have no sin. This typically involves what we're going to put at one end, a dilution of God's law. They are either tone deaf to God's law to the point that they get rid of it or it just doesn't matter too much in their lives anyways. Can you think of a good example of this? The Pharisees are examples of this. In spite of the fact that they studied the scriptures constantly, they interpret it in their own way. In a way to make it doable for them. In a way that they were righteous by keeping the law themselves. And they made keeping the law into an external activity designed to impress others around them so that they could be also objects of praise. In fact, they were in denial about their true status before the Holy God. At the other end of the spectrum are people like Judas. Judas is an example of despair. Judas did not deny his sin at all. He understood that he deserved punishment. In his case, the evil forces of the world convinced Judas that his sin was more powerful than the gospel, more powerful than God's forgiveness. So instead of repenting and asking for forgiveness, he hung himself. Evil used the great sin of despair to, punt, to push Judas over the edge. The people of this world stand all along across that spectrum of dilution of God's law to despair. Some are quite proud of their own righteousness. Others don't really care, and still others destroy themselves in despair. Eventually, we will all stand before God and realize this mistake on either end. But it will be too late. When the Holy Spirit works faith in us so that we place our trust in Christ, a new way opens up before us. Our citizenship is no longer in this world. Instead, it is in heaven. We live in this world as aliens. And when the forces of evil overwhelm us, and when we sin, we have an ambassador with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Holy Spirit then has given us the sight to see our sins and mourn our inability to keep God's law. He has made known the reality of the punishment 
that our sins deserve. However, instead of driving us to despair, he drives us to Christ. The depth of our sin shows us the height of God's love and the forgiveness he offers to us in the gospel. The love that sacrificed itself on a cross in order to free us from the guilt of that sin. The love that revoked our citizenship in this world and made us citizens of heaven. By the Holy Spirit's power, we don't deny our sins, but readily confess them before God. Because that's where the Spirit pushes us. And we receive that forgiveness that he so graciously gives to us. And that despair turns into joy. And whatever self-righteousness we have goes away knowing that all of the righteousness was won for us by Christ alone. And so we can pray like that tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because we know of only one who can take our sins away. So here Jesus prays for us in this high priestly prayer. And he prayed that the Holy Father will keep us in his name. In this way, we will have by grace the unity that the Father and the Son enjoyed. And that they have by nature. As we look at the words that Jesus used in the text, he says, holy, and then he says, father, and he also uses the word name. We see that Jesus' prayer here is a variation of that very prayer that he taught us how to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And as we listen to Jesus' prayer, we learn that the closer we are to the Father, the closer we are to each other. When the Father keeps us in his name, then we are at one in him. So how did Jesus keep us in the Father's name? His prayer tells us that as well. He prayed to the Father. He says, I have given them your word. He kept them in the Father's name by teaching them the Father's word. This is the tie that binds us. Gives us unity in the church to one another. His word. And he still works that way today. Martin Luther said that the very thing when he explained how God, how, how we keep God's name holy among ourselves. He says, God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we, as the children of God, lead godly lives according to it. And he prays, help us to do this, Father, in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. So we ask God to protect us from 
profaning his name by living according to his word and teaching it properly. It is God's word in divine service, in Bible class, and in family and private devotions that keeps us in the Father's name. The Holy Spirit uses God's word to revoke our citizenship and give us that citizenship of heaven. Now we're wanderers in this world. We're living in it, but we're not of it. And we can get through all these times that the world shoves in our face, trying to bring us down, take our eyes off of Christ. We can keep united together through his word. Encourage one another through those times as well. This is what unites us. Jesus, our great high priest, loves us so much when any normal person would be concerned about the fate that they faced, the fate that Jesus faced, the full wrath of God by having your sins upon him. He could have been thinking about that and ignored his disciples, ignored you, but he didn't. His eyes were always to that cross because of you, because of his disciples, because he loves you. It wants you to have his word, to grow in his word, and to be sanctified by his word. We always say that at the end of the reading of the gospel before we preach, a lot of times anyways. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. And that's what he says at the end of his prayer. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Please rise for the blessing. Now may the grace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep and guard your hearts in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We continue with the offertory verse. become our salvation. Create and sustain true faith in us, that we may trust and not be afraid of anything in heaven and on earth 
except you alone. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, every good and perfect gift is from above. Though we are not worthy of them, you have graciously rained down on us both spiritual and physical gifts. Enlighten our minds that we would not be deceived by the lies of the world and boast of our self-sufficiency, but recognize these good gifts and receive them with thanksgiving. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, through your Son's death and resurrection, you revealed your righteousness in the sight of the nations. Send us faithful preachers that the nations who still dwell in darkness might hear of Jesus' righteousness and be saved. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, you have enjoined us to be slow to wrath, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Create in us kind and loving hearts, that we may love our neighbors and help support them in every physical need. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. Heavenly Father, you hold all people accountable for their responsibilities you have given them. O Lord, bless our president, our governor, the Congress and legislature, and all judges and magistrates. Guide them to serve according to your will and for the common good of all. Raise up those with heroic virtue who will defend our liberty. Protect those who defend us and the armed forces, even as you give peace to the nations. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, hear the prayers of intercession we offer in the unity of your Holy Spirit, our advocate and comforter. We pray for all those in our midst who are unable to be with us. We pray for your servant, Kathy. We pray for your servants, Lord, that you would keep them in your grace, comfort them in their time of distress and their health. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, you've given us both bread for the body of Christ, the bread of life. Prepare us now to receive with faith and thanksgiving his flesh for the life of the world and his blood that cleanses us from all sin. Unite us that we may believe and confess one faith and bring us to that day when we shall be one people together at the table of our Lord. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your Son, you promised your Holy Spirit, who would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Enlighten our hearts so that we would confess our sins, obtain everlasting righteousness through faith in Christ, and through every trial and temptation, abide in the consolation that Christ is Lord over the devil, death, and all things, and that he will graciously deliver us from all affliction to make us partakers of eternal salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.